Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Another story we continue to monitor throughout this pandemic is the effect that social distancing and closing down large parts of the economy is having on the country. And we're beginning to see a second round of layoffs. People who thought they were safe at first are increasingly facing unemployment. Employees working from home, government employees, and even some healthcare workers are all in danger the longer that businesses shut down. There are already over 20 million Americans that have filed for unemployment. For more on the second round of job losses, we'll speak to Harriet Torrey, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. What we kind of might be heading into right now is kind of the economic contraction part of this downturn. So we had this big shock when the economy essentially had to shut down due to social distancing. So restaurants closed, bars closed. A lot of places had to shut their doors and that prompted an immediate round of layoffs. Now what we're seeing is that other businesses are starting to say, "Okay, we're really not sure what's happening and we're going to have to make layoffs as well. And this is hitting different industries. So this could be healthcare workers that are not essential, for instance, let's say people working in dental offices or architects, office designers, contractors, lawyers. In this time of people really being on hold in a lot of ways, there might be fewer M&A deals, so you need fewer lawyers to work on that type of work. So the next jobs report we'll get will be for April, and it's likely to show cuts to a lot of these business services workers. We already have nearly 17 million Americans that have tried to get unemployment benefits in the past three weeks. Some of the economists that you guys surveyed there at the Wall Street Journal said that they expect maybe 14.4 million jobs will be lost in the coming months. We did the survey a couple of weeks ago, and given what we're seeing in jobless claims since then, that almost looks like an optimistic forecast. We're now seeing projections of close to 30 million jobs, and that's including in industries beyond those that have been ordered to close just because other types of employers are just seeing less work and less activity. It's just so hard to predict how and when we can do this safely and effectively. So the biggest wild card is how long is this all going to last? Some other experts have said that it could take the labor market five and a half years to fully bounce back. Others have said half of the jobs that have been lost through this could rebound by the end of summer. So it's kind of a big range there. And this is what economists are all stressing is that the reason that we're having this economic downturn is not because there was like a bubble in the economy, you know, or a housing downturn or some sort of problem in financial markets. This is a public health emergency that is causing the situation. So it requires a public health solution. And until the virus spread is contained and until people feel safe to go back to restaurants, go back to work, to take public transit, we just don't know how long it's going to be until the economy gets back to normal. You already mentioned some of the industries that are going to experience some job losses in the second wave, but let's go back and kind of get into some a little more in depth. Basically, you know, businesses that plan to open second locations, PR professionals that were going to be helping with new projects. You know, a lot of these people are laying off people because projects are dying up right now, or a lot of projects are being put on hold until this whole thing opens back up. That's definitely the case. And that's a knock-on effect throughout the economy. We even saw this a few weeks ago when there wasn't a widespread shutdown, but certain things were starting to be cancelled. So for instance, we saw that South by Southwest was cancelled in Austin, and that had a huge impact on everybody in the city from musicians to Airbnb hosts to truck drivers. 
Another interesting one was that many healthcare workers are being laid off. Essentially, what's happened in a lot of hospitals is that because of the public health emergency with coronavirus, they've cancelled non-elective procedures in order to have bed space for people who are critically ill and also to prevent critically ill patients from infecting people who might be coming in for elective surgery. So all of those surgeries have been cancelled and that is a huge source of revenue for many hospital systems. And it's also idling. A lot of nurses are seeing that hours cut and sort of lab technicians are seeing that hours cut. And that has come as a surprise because the healthcare sector has generally been a pretty steady employer. That was one of the first things that happened in all of this was the elective surgeries, things that were being canceled. They said, hey, don't go out there because it's, it's dangerous. So that was one of the first things that took effect. The other uh, big thing is you're thinking right now, there's a huge government response on a lot of this, but state and local municipalities are having to lay off hundreds of workers. And in a sense, it's this kind of shift where the money is still coming from the state and the government, but they're shifting it because now these people are going on to unemployment. And the longer that we see the businesses shut down, that results in a big drop in tax receipts for state and local governments. So that does mean that they have to make hard choices about employment. Harriet Torrey, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. A little more information of a story that came out last week. We heard about Nadia, a tiger in the Bronx Zoo that had contracted COVID-19. The tiger and a few other big cats had come down with dry coughs, so the decision was made to test them. And these tests were made specifically for the animals. The reason for all this is that it's very important to understand how transmission works. Can it spread to other animals or even our pets? For more on this story, we spoke to Kate Nibbs, writer at Wired. So seven big cats altogether exhibited symptoms, but only Nadia was tested because she seemed the sickest for the longest time. So the Bronx Zoo closed to the public in mid-March, but zookeepers stayed on to care for the animals. And they noticed that Nadia was coughing and the other cats were coughing. And it went on for long enough that they decided to just run a series of tests on her. They did not initially suspect COVID-19 just because no animal in North America had had come down with it yet. So it seemed kind of far-fetched. So they sedated her and the veterinarians at the zoo ran a series of tests for more common conditions and they all came back negative. So they took a sample, a few different samples from Nadia while she was out. In the same way that when you get a, a COVID test as a human, they put a swab in your nostril. They did that to Nadia. And they also took some um, samples from her throat. And they sent those samples to two different diagnostic labs, one at the University of Illinois and one at Cornell University. And those universities developed their own tests specifically for animals, and they ran them. Both had presumed positives, so then they sent those samples to the Federal Veterinary Diagnostic Lab in Iowa. They ran a test. It also came back positive. So that's when they sort of came out and said, look, it, you know, it certainly seems as though Nadia has this condition and we're going to continue studying it because it's quite unusual for a cat to get this type of coronavirus. And it just speaks to how unpredictable this type of coronavirus is. And you made the important point there that they specifically designed this test for the animals. This wasn't a test that a person lost out on, basically. And that was an important thing, but that's also very important, too, because the other working theory, obviously, is that the virus came from bats to humans. 
And now mm-hmm. if we're transmitting it back to other animals, you know, there's big questions. What about other animals? What about our pets? So it's important to understand how this uh, human to cat transmission happened. When I first heard the news, I was a little put off because I'm living in New York and many people I know, including a member of my own family, have exhibited signs of COVID-19 and haven't been able to get a test. So I think it's normal to be a little bit confused about how a tiger got the test before so many humans did. But, uh, you know, the veterinary diagnosticians who created this test it's not like they would be creating a test for humans anyways. You know, they specialize in animal medicine. So this is a a parallel but still important area of research regarding the disease. It's not like a car manufacturer that can switch over to making ventilators. It doesn't work that way. These people are not licensed to test humans or anything. So, you know, that would never happen. But we do have some tests that have been done. There's other animals that have tested positive for this. Yes. So several cats have appeared to have tested positive. I believe one in Hong Kong and one in Belgium. And then in Hong Kong, dogs have appeared to test positive as well. And then there have been some experiments in in laboratories where cats, ferrets, and golden hamsters have been deliberately exposed to COVID-19 because they are studying how those species react. And it does appear that they can catch it. But so far, this tiger is the only animal in North America that we know of who has appears to have caught COVID-19 from a human. And there are only a handful of cases worldwide where that looks to be the case. So it doesn't seem like something that's super easily transmittable to household pets, including cats, because at this point, you know, almost 2 million people have been confirmed with COVID. And Barely any pets have been brought in with with concerns about this. So just if you if people have cats, it shouldn't be something that you're really stressing over because it does not appear to be something that they're at great risk for contracting. And they don't they also don't appear to be getting this sick. No animal has has died of this that we know of. Kate Nibbs, writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Finally for this week, the virus has changed the way we internet. While some things may be obvious, people are starting to have more video chats with friends and family and coworkers. Other aspects of the way we spend our time online can be surprising. People are moving away from their phones and using desktop computers more. People are consuming more news from local and established newspapers and less on partisan sites. And video games have seen an increase while sports have lost out completely. For more on how we're spending our time online during the pandemic, we speak to Nathaniel Popper, reporter at the New York Times. We put together a bunch of data that we pulled to look at how our behavior changed really in the course of just a few weeks. And you see these pretty dramatic changes in online behavior that is obviously very unusual, but these are unusual times. And one of the things that stuck out to us was that these sites that were seeking out for entertainment, for social connections, so Facebook, Netflix, YouTube, all of those services have seen the traffic on their apps declining at the same time that their websites have seen just skyrocketing traffic. So Facebook traffic to their website has gone up 27%, basically the matter of a few days, And their app, which used to be what everybody was checking, has sort of been limping along. And I think it's almost as if we're sort of remembering 
the virtue of looking at a big computer screen rather than squinting down at our phone all day. Right, exactly. We have the luxury of using our desktops and our laptops more. The other thing, obviously, this is one that we know, video chats. It's definitely having a moment right now. People are connecting all sorts of ways on different apps. I mean, there's obviously FaceTime, there's Zoom is a huge one, but there's a few other ones that people are gravitating towards right now because they need something more than just the video chat. They want fun backgrounds and they want other stuff to help kind of spruce that part of it up. It's really notable that it feels like just sort of connecting by text is not enough in this time where we can't see people. Because of social distancing, we're not allowed to get together with our friends and family. And so the only way we can see each other is through video. And that has helped a bunch of services that really were not big ones before. This app House Party, I think it had some history of being popular. It had been trendy at some point, but it was really kind of limping along. And over the last few weeks, again, it's seen a traffic shoot up 80%. And it allows essentially, as the name would suggest, people to gather together in a video chat room, somewhat like Zoom does, but there's also games involved. It's fun. It's yeah. about socializing. It's about being together. It's not just about doing business. I just saw um, specifically some friends posting up how they were on the house party thing. And I had to go look into it because I hadn't heard about it before. But yeah, that's the exact same thing they were doing playing the games, trying to have some fun other ways than just the traditional video chat. This is more than FaceTime. And so I think, yes, so much of the changing patterns is in that direction of finding ways to connect more deeply when we're feeling cut off from each other. The other sort of interesting trend in that direction is with our neighbors and locally, because we're thinking so much more about our local businesses and our local community. Is coronavirus here? Has it made it into the local hospital? What are the numbers around me? And so on that front, you have the social media network next door, which has been popular, but is still a relatively small player in the social media world. But again, it has just taken off over the last few weeks. Obviously, a lot of people are working from home, students that have had their schools closed, which is basically all of them. They're taking classes from home. So on that front, Zoom is definitely having a moment with a lot of students, Google Classroom, Microsoft Teams, uh, our company, iHeartMedia, we're using Microsoft Teams to connect and do uh, virtual meetings and all that. So these are also having a moment. But the thing that comes with that is privacy concerns. I know Zoom specifically had a lot of privacy concerns with Zoom bombing and and a couple of other things as well. It feels like Zoom, more than any other company, has benefited from this. I think there's no company that's emerged from this more strongly. You've seen their stock overtake Uber in terms of the size of the company, the market capitalization. But along with that, as so often I think happens in the tech world when something takes off is you realize that they're not actually ready for prime time yet. And there just been this litany of security concerns that have come up, people being able to log in, snoop on other people's traffic. Of course, this issue of Zoom bombing, where people basically intrude often in offensive ways into other people's Zoom conferences. And I think it's this inevitable tale of Silicon Valley where it's not quite ready for the success that it has. That's why Zoom was so interesting to me on how it took off, especially with schools and online classrooms. 
because of that. It was still fairly new. And it's exactly as you said, when it's new and hot and everybody wants to use it, all the other little cracks start showing after that. Right. So it was very surprising to me that Zoom took off so much because of that, especially for online classes, when you want something to be a little more stable for the students and obviously all the privacy concerns there. It sort of is a reminder of just how quickly behavior has changed. Obviously, video chat was something that existed before, but it was not something that all that many people were relying on before. It was not something people were thinking about so much before. Obviously, you know, I think in the business world, Slack was the big sort of trend, the big growth pattern, because you're chatting with people in between seeing them. Now you can't see them. And so you need a way to do that. And Zoom has obviously been the place to go. But it's going to be interesting to see as time goes on, how much people move back towards things like Microsoft Teams, maybe Hangouts from other places that have a bit more of a track record, especially with security. Now, this next angle of how coronavirus has changed the way we internet, I think it's a good one. So people have gone to their local newspaper sites and their local TV stations. They've turned to them more for news updates. They obviously want to know what's going on in their communities a lot. And partisan sites, those have maybe not had huge decreases, but at least stagnated, at least with traffic. And people are turning to a lot more large media organizations, sites that they trust, especially things like New York Times and the Washington Post, you know, when the president says a lot of things like, oh, fake news and whatnot. And, you know, it has its place when things start getting heavily politicized. But it's good to see that people are turning to these local sites more now. There's definitely a sense of the last few years have been all about skepticism towards the media, obviously partisan news sites have fed that skepticism of of corporate media. But you come to a time where you just want the facts. And I think people are turning back to those traditional sources and saying, if I just want the facts, this is still the place I'm going to go. I don't necessarily want the opinions. I want to know what the numbers are in my community, what restaurants are shut down. I want to know how much things are spreading. And so you're seeing more mainstream sites, which have in many ways struggled in recent years, those have been the places where people have been going. And unfortunately, this has not necessarily meant a great sort of business boom for these companies because a lot of these companies make most of their money from advertisers. And so even if you have a lot of viewers, if advertisers are sort of dropping out, which is what's happening now with the economy, the sites are continuing to struggle. Local newspapers are continuing to struggle economically, even as their readership you know, is skyrocketing. Yeah. Two sites that saw big increases, CNBC, the business news website, has seen a huge increase, and the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Obviously, people are pointing to them a lot for hard numbers and guidance on social distancing and and whatnot, so they've seen big numbers. And the last uh, section I want to talk about, video games. Obviously, sports have dropped off a huge bit. Uh, ESPN website has gone down. Things like Twitch and TikTok, people watching other people play video games and interact on that scene has increased. Yeah. I mean, Twitch is the largest service to watch other people play video games. And they were already that before this. But you look at the chart in their daily numbers, you just see right as social distancing sets in, you just see their numbers take off, explode. And it's one of the only forms of entertainment, at least live entertainment that's (laughs) left to us out there. Nathaniel Popper, reporter at the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks again for having me. 
That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.